0: authenticity. We've heard a lot about that, haven't we? What does it really mean to be an authentic business leader? And what, if anything, does that produce for the business? What are the characteristics of a leader who is genuinely authentic and not simply dressing up to look like something authentic? Let's find out. Today, we're talking to the author of Naked at Work, A Leader's Guide to Fearless Authenticity. It's Danessa Knapp on the Manage Your Message podcast.
1: Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr.
0: Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. And there is an enormous opportunity for business owners, managers, professionals of all stripes who want to stand out and grow. And yet, many of us don't fully appreciate the extent of the opportunity, or we don't know where to start addressing it, or we wonder whether we and our employees or colleagues would ever have the right knowledge, skills, confidence, or personalities to lead consistently effective customer conversations. That's where my work as an author, professional speaker, and consultant comes in. On this podcast, we're here to help you with ideas for the three necessary components for managing your message. First, creating the message itself, meaning the words, stories, insights, and evidence you want your customers and prospects to know about. Second, equipping and growing your network of messengers, the people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday business advantage. When you bring those pieces together, you'll very likely enjoy improvements in revenue, market share, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I take you through that process in more detail in my book available from Career Press. It's titled, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. We bring all of this together for you because, simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Our guest today says it's also easier to grow professionally and personally if you are naked at work, metaphorically speaking. Danessa Knapp is an executive coach, a former CEO, now a keynote speaker and author, who says we should shift the conversation on leadership. She has coached hundreds of executives across every major industry and has developed a reputation as a candid, compassionate, and courageous leadership partner. She has a brand new book, Naked at Work, A Leader's Guide to Fearless Authenticity. It's all about harnessing the power of real authenticity, not hashtag authenticity, as she says, to drive measurable business results. Danessa earned her executive coaching credentials from Georgetown University. She has a BA in psychology and sociology from the College of William and Mary. She spent more than 20 years as an entrepreneur and a senior executive and ultimately CEO. She lives with her husband and children In Virginia. Danessa Knapp, it is a pleasure to welcome you to the Manager Message Podcast.
1: Jim, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure, our pleasure. Been looking forward to this conversation because, as we were saying in the intro, authenticity is a big buzzword. It is. Yeah, you might have heard it a few times. You say that there is getting authenticity right and getting authenticity wrong. And I'm especially intrigued by this idea about hashtag authenticity is something that's, I would guess, kind of a poor substitute. How do you see authenticity as a, as a first step?
1: Yeah, so the way I think about authenticity, because let's face it, Jim, you can't be anywhere on social media without seeing somebody else's version of authenticity, the you know, hashtag no filter, hashtag authentic. What I think about it though is... Enabling yourself to connect with all the parts of who you are, every failure, every misstep, everything you screwed up, all the stories you tell yourself, all that stuff within your head, connecting to it in a way that allows you to bring forward the lessons in it in service to other people. And that's really what I mean about getting it right versus getting it wrong So much of what we see around authenticity is kind of this brazen take me as I am view. This idea that, you know, I am who I am and it's everyone else's responsibility to meet me here in this place. And leaders can't really afford to do that. Really terrific leaders meet others where they are and bring everyone together, And so leaders who use the I am who I am brand of authenticity often find it falling flat versus leaders who connect with who they are in an effort to understand and serve other people drive really significant, powerful results.
0: And that seems like an important point. And we certainly do want to talk about the results and how you get there, but my impression, Danessa, is that some of that I am what I am and you have to take it or leave it winds up putting more pressure on the other person or the other people, right? You're taking responsibility away from yourself, and that, that doesn't really seem helpful in that regard.
1: Exactly. Because all you give other people then as a leader is a choice, which is take you or leave you. And you might not know whether people are actually taking or leaving you. And so you want to think about when you're showing up for your team, how am I interacting with them in a way that holds their humanity kind of sacred and in the forefront of things that connects with them in a way that helps them see that I am human, that we can build trust together. And when we think about just forcing people to Take us or leave us, accept us or not, we miss out on opportunities to grow, on opportunities to adjust or shift our message to connect more powerfully with people. And as you well know, it's critically important that people hear what we have to say. And by learning who you are and what you have to say, and how to bring that message forward so that it reaches as many people as possible has really powerful effects on people's willingness to follow you as a leader.
0: And I'd like to follow up on that a little bit. And by the way, in just uh, being a little vulnerable here, I have a PhD and a background in in market research and audience research and all of that wonderful stuff, Vanessa. And one of the things that I learned early on is don't ask people a two-part question. But a two-part question comes to mind. So <laughs> as we record this and as um, this episode will be released, we are in the middle of a pandemic. It is a terrible disruption in people's lives and in, in just the operation of the economy. So this is a big external crisis that has been forced upon us all. So there's a special role for leadership. But my overall question, and, and here's where the two-part stuff comes in you'd make a point of talking about the business case for authenticity and that it helps people to perform better. And so I I wonder about where you see that showing up. But the other part is, is there a, a special emphasis on that in times of crisis, in times of high anxiety or constriction in a business? So I'll let you take that where you think authenticity plays into whatever normal everyday operations of a of a team or a business are as well as uh, what's the role of it in times like these
1: sure no i think that's a great question what i would say is for all of us having this conversation you and i jim and and our listeners we can think about when things were really tough before whether it be really tough in in a particular job in our home life Some of us who are working and in a professional capacity and 9-11 can remember that time. And I'm willing to bet that all of us have a really clear picture of our leaders at that time. And I don't mean leaders in a hierarchical way. I mean people who were influencing our thinking, people who were helping us see where to go next. And that alone for me is the proof that leadership becomes absolutely critical in crisis. We know that from our military, right? Our military trains leaders at a level that is far greater than nearly any of our private institutions. And the reason is that leadership matters for the situations that we put our military in. And so when we think about how much leadership matters, the ripple effect of crisis, What I say when I work with my clients in corporate environments or in entrepreneurial environments is, you will be making your legacy now. You will be writing it now. And the beauty of this is, once you have that information, you can choose what's written. You can choose how people will remember you in this. And so that is the point I would absolutely want to reiterate and agree with is, you know, if we think about regular leadership as a jump off a diving board, picture that diving board shooting up to Olympic diving levels, and that's about what you get when we think about leadership in crisis. The business case for it is made both in understanding what happens with the absence of authenticity and then looking at what happens with authentic leadership. So I'll start with the latter. You asked a two-part question. You're getting a three-part answer, Jim.
0: Oh, we're getting exponential in our market. We are. We are. Or at least multiplicative. We'll see how it goes.
1: <laughs> So I'd say what I'd like to share with your listeners is some research done by Google and Amy Edmondson out of Harvard, and it has to do with the intersection of trust and psychological safety. So what we know is that authentic leadership, and we know this from a bunch of leadership studies, I'm happy to share them with folks or have have you link them in the notes, but from a bunch of leadership studies that I reviewed in, in preparation for writing this book, we know that authentic leadership builds trust. There are three kinds of trust. There is interpersonal trust, there is organizational trust, and there is strategic trust. So I trust you, Jim, you trust me, that's interpersonal. You and I together trust that the organization will fulfill what it's supposed to do. will be reviewed on time. We'll get promoted fairly. We'll have opportunity to weigh in on answers. And we believe that the organization we work for is aligned against the right strategic problems. So those are examples of the three kinds of trust in a workplace. Again, not mine, developed by researchers at Harvard. And when we think about those kinds of trust, we realize that when they work together, they're built by authenticity, they work together and they create this idea of psychological safety. And when teams feel safe, they innovate and create at a far faster rate. We can measure how quickly they can solve problems. We can measure how quickly they can rebound after something fails. And across the board, when people feel safe, they rebound faster, they can create new ideas, and they take bigger risk, which what is in our everyday business world, a clear differentiator of leading organizations. That becomes even more important in the world we're in now. The other business case is how much it costs when your leader isn't authentic. So all of us have worked for someone who we're not quite sure we believe where they stand. And if you think for yourself about the rework you did, about the positioning work you did, the last time you worked for someone you didn't trust, or if unfortunately you're in that position now, how much time you spend jockeying for position, thinking about how something's going to be received, rewording something so that it lands the right way, you understand the very real material resource cost of inauthentic leadership.
0: It sounds like authentic leadership creates a culture, an aura of psychological safety. And then within that culture, within that environment, people will, I'm guessing here, maybe feel better about risk-taking, maybe more ideas, they'll communicate better. They have less anxiety about what if it doesn't go well. Are those the kind of dynamics that you're talking about?
1: Absolutely. There's a CEO I write about in the book. He's uh, the CEO, it uh, was the CEO for Albertsons for some time, and he used to hand out get out of jail free cards, printed.
0: <laughs>
1: and he would give his senior leaders those and say, I expect you to use these. I expect you to do something that fails so big. You bring this to me and say, mm, I'm out. This is my permission. You know, this is my wipe the slate clean. I can try again. That was his way of creating a culture that was willing to take risks because it creates such value.
0: And along those lines, because that's an interesting segue, I think, in terms of the, the role of failure and risk-taking and, and being able to talk about that openly. You are not shy. You are not clothed when it comes to talking about that you've had professional failures. And so maybe you could talk a little bit. I, I gave a brief intro of some of the roles that you've had at an executive level, and now as a coach and advisor to, to other executives. When you talk about the failures that you've had, what exactly are you talking about Kind of in your past? What are your takeaways and how important do you think it is that leaders be able to actively talk about that themselves. And then by the way, Danessa, when, uh, after you talk about failure, we also want to talk about success and how, how leaders should talk about success as well. It's not just about, oh, oh, I'm terrible. So when you talk about big public failures, what are you talking about from your experience and, and what's the role of talking about that?
1: Yeah. Well, and I love even how you asked that question, Jim, because I am a spectacular failure.
0: Well, i If you're going to do it, do it right.
1: Yeah. And I'm very good at what I do. So when I tell people, man, I started getting hit in the face by the ball in elementary school and it never stopped. Right? So I... A boom and bust business. I left my corporate job to start a business. It grew huge so quickly. In two years, we opened more stores. I was on the front page of the Washington Post style section. It was a huge growth. And six months later, I was watching the movers pack my dishes because I'd used my house as collateral on the loan and we couldn't pay, mm. right? That is a massive failure. I married my college sweetheart, had three babies, was pretty sure as long as I worked on this marriage, it would be just fine. That's what we're all told, right? Woke up in my mid-30s to the massive failure of my first marriage. And these failures have shaped me. One of my favorites to talk about is when I was 16, I was singing a song. And I grew up in kind of a small, sleepy suburb of Washington, D.C. I was there at the time. And This was before YouTube and before streaming, and so this program my school put on was attended by probably 350 people a night, and it went on for three nights, Jim. I took the stage. I was every bit of my self-possessed 16-year-old self, opened my mouth to sing, and forgot every single word of my song. (laughs) And Jim, I forgot it three nights in a row it wasn't just once. So these failures, big and small, have shaped me in ways that help me lead and support other people. And so what I think about in that boom and bust first business is the lessons of rapid growth. I learned then that when I knew things were going wrong, I was so ashamed I couldn't talk to anybody about it. That cost me more than what had originally gone wrong. And I can bring that forward in service to other people now.
0: I think an important lesson as well, and we can talk about the process that you lay out in your new book, which I'm sure encompasses a lot of these areas. But from what you talked about, say, in a professional failure with the boom and the bust of business that you had... So there are parts of that that you would have learned the hard way with some scar tissue about what it's like to try to manage a fast growth business. And those are things that would help you in your performance. But then I would suspect there's a larger issue as well. So how do you talk about that, whether it be to executives you're coaching or people who are on your team, and how does your being able to talk about that in the appropriate way? help them evaluate risk and and innovate and, and the like. So there's the part that you learn about what to do, but it sounds like there's an even bigger opportunity of how you talk about that to help other people do better.
1: And the truth is, I don't talk about this specific thing much in my work, Jim, because if I'm sitting across the table from a CEO facing an incredibly difficult quarter, me talking to them about the business that, busted for me years ago, that doesn't serve them at all. But what I can connect with is really authentically the feeling. I know what it's like to feel ashamed. I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed. And so by enabling the leader to have a conversation about that, to say, what are you feeling right now? And what lens are you seeing the world through, given that feeling? What if that feeling went away? What could you do without that anchor? Sometimes just acknowledging for people that when we fail, it feels miserable and that it's okay to put that down. You don't have to carry that failure with you forever and ever. You can look at what you learned from it and move forward with forgiveness for yourself and the other people involved. Sometimes just that helps lighten the load for leaders. Sometimes helping them acknowledge or see that their feelings are having an impact on how they make decisions is really important. But it's not so much the specifically how I've failed because I've built such a resume of it. I have lots of options. Um, But the idea that I'm a living example of resilience. And when I work with an executive as their coach, All of what they bring to the table is okay. They don't need to invest any energy in making me think that they're infallible. None of us is infallible. All of us have screwed something big up. And once we realize that and move forward at the task at hand of how we fix it, that's when the real magic happens. But if we're spending precious energy concealing or pretending that we're perfect, well, we just have less energy to get to the task at hand then.
0: Danessa, that's such an important point. And as you were relating that, the the feeling and and recognizing the dynamics that are at play, I was thinking back, message manager listeners, one of our very early episodes was with, uh, we actually did it in two parts. And Danessa with a, a gentleman named Chip Massey, and Chip had really has a really interesting background. He had been a minister for a number of years, and then he joined the FBI and he wound up being the chief hostage negotiator out of the DC district office. And one of the things he was talking about, his lessons from dealing in some very difficult conversations oftentimes, is I recall his mantra, never let an emotion go unlabeled. And so the as you were saying it recognizing that emotion recognizing the the feeling the vulnerability is a great step to say oh okay this is how it's playing with my head or this is this is what it means and that's the point at which we can relate not so much the details as you were saying from you know how your business performed a while back but the implications the feelings the emotions the pressures the opportunities and how those presented themselves
1: i love that labeling those feelings because we have been taught, we're getting better at it, but we've been taught that emotions have no place at work. And I would say that if you don't understand the emotional journey of the people that you work with, you are not effectively enabled or equipped to lead them. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all weeping or holding hands or you know crying every day together at work. There's a difference between feeling the emotion and acting on it. But in feeling the emotion, in noticing, hey, that makes me really angry. What do I notice about myself when I'm angry? That empowers you the next time someone walks in your office and sits down to be able to recognize their anger. What we know is the minute someone else feels that we are together in something, that we are on the same team, we can move forward more effectively. You know, Jim, you and I both have teenagers, right? And we've learned that the most effective negotiation with a teenager is to look at them and say, wow, that seems like a big problem. How are you thinking about it? How can I help you? What do you need? Because the minute you tell a teenager, let me tell you what to do, they feel like you are against them. But the, hey, I'm here to support often gets you a much better outcome. And so as leaders can tap into their own emotions, they can then begin to recognize them in other people. And they can use that almost, that reflection almost, that awareness and understanding of that emotion to be able to think about how might I approach them? How might I think about it? What do I remember about what it feels like to be ashamed or worried? And how do I connect with them honoring that feeling? And you don't have to do that overtly, right? You don't have to say you're ashamed, but you can think about how would I have wanted someone to approach me?
0: Absolutely. And message manager listeners and, and Danessa, I mean, leaders love structure. They love intentionality. They love a plan and a process. So we've spoken here. We, you've talked about the business case uh, for authenticity, what it, what it means and why it works and how it works and different scenarios that we can think about how to handle, you in your book have a process, always a good thing when uh, speaking with executives, about developing and using real authenticity. So could you take us through a little bit and give us some structure about how that works in practice as you've been coaching it and implementing it?
1: Sure. Sure. The first thing I work with people on, and sometimes we don't do it overtly, right, Jim? So if I were to say to your listeners, hey, let's talk about the shame you're managing. You know, 70% of the folks listening to this would be like, I don't have any shame. I'm going to head on out. Click. (laughs) Exactly. So the process actually doesn't show up until page 67 of the book, because we're talking about what is the common experience we have as leaders. So- Once we get through that, and once folks understand that, hey, everybody's managing this kind of internal dialogue that sometimes says, you might not have this. And that is where we start to get the sense of when we're managing something. And that something is often shame or the fear or anxiety of how something might show up. And so I work with folks on just stop wasting your time there. That doesn't support you. It's wasted energy. I live in the South and Southerners would say it's like rocking in a rocking chair. A lot of energy gets you nowhere. The second step is to take a good hard look at where you are. And this is something that you may have talked about with the hostage negotiator, right? What has come before this does not matter. What will come next is still to be. The only thing that matters when you're thinking about leading, especially now in crisis, is where are you right now? And leaders who can accurately understand, hey, here's where I am. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's how my feelings are impacting this. Here's where the business actually is. That's critically important. I once worked with a supply distribution company. They were in business to consumer, B2C. And I sat with them in a strategic workshop about 18 months ago and said, what are you doing about Amazon? And they said, oh, Amazon isn't in our business. It's no big deal. Yep. They don't have a clear picture of where they actually are. Amazon's in everybody's business. And so really assessing where you actually are as a business, where you are as a leader is critically important in step two. Step three is to examine the stories we tell ourselves. Jim, we are all deep in stories about who we are. We think they're truth. They're not. So examine those stories and get rid of the ones that don't work for you. Start to think about how to mine your failures. So instead of concealing your failures, start to think about what you learned. That spectacular failure of mine when I was 16, man, that made me fearless. I went to college knowing that the worst possible thing that could happen to a teenager had already happened to me, right? As an adult, we know that's not the worst possible thing. Remember, I was 16. Right. I spoke to people. I had all kinds of conversations. It made me brave. That's a gift of that failure, Step five is to get naked at work. So you've got this whole new assessment of yourself and your stories and how you think. We work through that process and then it's time to take it to work. Because again, this isn't a self-help manual. It's not to make you feel better about you. It's to drive different business results. It's to lead more effectively. And so to connect with people and build that trust, you've got to be more authentic at work. And then step six, which is an important step in every process, but we don't always outline it, is get it wrong and do it again. Notice it's hard. Keep going, right? We as adults don't like to be beginners in things. If you think about the last time you were really a beginner at something, it was probably a long time ago. It's really uncomfortable, right? You might not get it right. It doesn't feel good. It's like an itchy sweater. And so we avoid it. Or we try things once or twice and think, oh, that didn't work. I'm not cut out for that. Nope, we just didn't give enough time. And so I intentionally included that final step of step six on get it wrong. It's hard. Do it again. Keep trying. And that's the process that I walk my executive coaching private clients through. It's the workshop work I do with my organization, and it's what's housed in the book.
0: So let's talk about the book a little bit. This will have been out for just a few weeks. When this episode airs, I'm sure it's going to have legs all the way from the provocative title to the very practical advice that you are dispensing here. So how can we be in in touch with you? Find out more of the book, find out more about your programs and what you're finding out there at work these days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to connect with folks. So you can find more about me at knapp.com or at avenue8advisors.com. That's the firm I lead. The book is Naked at Work, A Leader's Guide to Fearless Authenticity. It's available anywhere books are sold online. Please stay at home. And I'm happy to talk to folks individually. I actually, when I do these uh, media events, Jim, I always give out my email address because it's really important. I think that if people have questions, they can get answers. So you can reach me at Danessa at AvenueAidAdvisors.com. And I'm happy to answer your questions about how to be an authentic leader or uh, situations you're facing. It'd be my pleasure.
0: Well, we appreciate you being here, Danessa. Congratulations on the book. It is not a small venture to do that. And uh, uh, I know you've had some early success with it. We will have all of these uh, links and connections in our show description as well. We'll look forward to staying in touch with you. Maybe even have you back on the show uh, before long. And you can tell us post what we hope will be fairly soon, post pandemic whatever the next level of normal is going to be of what you're continuing to find with the teams and the leaders you work with.
1: and That would be my pleasure, Jim. I so appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at Podcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating and reviewing this podcast and connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.